Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. So good weekend of boxing so that means that my dude eris and pina and i we do we had to jump on we had to talk about some boxing in the wake of a good weekend eris what's up dude what's going on man like you said bro it was a wonderful weekend of fights you know it's it's one of those things boxing is tough to be a boxing fan a lot we get side you know shorted on a lot of fights when big fights do happen, there's always some nonsense or bullshit with judges or a referee or something or another happening. But when boxing's done right, the judges get it right, everything goes according to plan. It's a beautiful thing, man. And this weekend was beautiful. Yeah, dude, it it definitely felt like there wasn't anything unfair. And on no. top of that, you know, there was some justice served in a couple places. But it, the the main spot, the main source of justice was George Cambosos Jr. taking out Teofimo Lopez Jr., I mean, he didn't quite take him out. He he got by him, I suppose. But the whole the whole point is that nah, he took him out, man. He knocked him off the por- por- perch, whatever. You know, all this talk that they've been saying lately about the four princes of four kings or whatever the hell they've been trying to compare to the, you know, um, golden era of the eighties. Um, does that make them only have three kings now? Is Cambosis <laughs> another king? Like, how how is this going to work out here? Regardless of what it is, Teofimo Lopez came off in the end of 2019 looking like you know one of the top fighters in the world people are already elevating him into pound pound status and all that and the fact is um this was supposed to be just a routine mandatory for him the fact that george cambosis beat him and beat him rather convincingly whether whatever the judges one of the judges tried to tell you or not regardless that's he knocked him right off his perch this is a huge huge shakeup in the division and in boxing in general and that's awesome I, I guess I say got by because it was a split decision. It's pretty close. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, but like, I didn't see that. Did you think that was a split decision? Lopez didn't win that fight. Yeah, it was. I no, I didn't think that. I thought that uh, George Cambosos clearly won the fight and clearly outdid Lopez, who, you know, he came on late. He he came pretty close to catching up. Absolutely. Very close. Yeah, it was very, very dramatic and very, like, compelling at the end. But Cambosos, I thought, had a had a clear edge to at least, you know, be deserving of that w you know there's there's no question dude um george cambosos got out to a quick start but not only got off to a quick start it's not like he got lucky or something like that he actually was outdoing he was outboxing teofimo lopez for the vast majority of the fight he was keeping the correct distance you know fighting at the it i mean i i don't want to take too much away from him either because Lopez did look kind of sluggish from the outset. He did kind of look like he was maybe a little bit off, but that's that's almost like beside the point because the point is that Camboso stayed disciplined. He stuck to his game plan and he really, he made it happen. Absolutely did. And to add to your point too, absolutely, you know, Lopez, even though he was a little sluggish, you could tell he was a little off in the fight. 
especially early on, um, he was still landing big punches. Like before he got dropped, surprisingly, in the first round, you notice he landed a number of clean right hands on Cambosis and was landing, he had landed a lot of flush shots too that would have taken out most other contenders or people in that division. Like, so credit to him, to Cambosis as well, for being able to withstand a lot of that because he did take a lot of punishment as well. But like you said, man, he kept the proper distance. He kept on using his jab. And he outboxed Lopez for a number of rounds, man. He just had, he put it all together. That was his finest moment. And his past fights against other competitors, like Lee Selby and others that he's fought, like they've been close fights when people just say, oh man, you know, he just scraped by, he won the fight, but there's no way he's going to be able to beat a guy like Lopez because we all saw what Lopez did against Lomachenko and everybody just kind of figured then he must be some supreme elite talent from that one fight. Um, and kind of based it off that, but then again, it, look how long it's been since he's had that fight. That was, what, the end of 2019 when they fought? And um, since that time, this fight has been gone through so much crazy shit. From one postponement to another, from when Trilla first, you know, won the purse bid for the fight, you already knew something funky was already going like, to go down from it. And then from there, everything just started falling apart. One thing led to another. This thing happened and that. One guy caught COVID. Another one catches COVID, you know, everything trilla finally defaults on their purse they try to land it over here all kinds of stuff and then basically the fight gets to um postponed for the better part of almost an entire year at that point right and, and when they i fight, know it, i know it feels like it was the end of 2019 but it was actually the end of 2020 it, it but oh, it, it, it was 2020 excuse me okay I, but dude it it's been it's that's been right quite they the fought in the pandemic that's right i'm so yeah, it was but it's but but not, nah, dude. You are right to feel that way because that's the whole. <laughs> it's it. That's the whole point is that this shit has been a drawn out like straight yeah, up. Yeah, man, that made me like literally forget when they actually fought. It's been so long. <laughs> well, and and I think that that was a a really big part of the problem, and also why this was fairly disastrous for Teofimo Lopez. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that their post-fight behavior, Teofimo Lopez, junior and senior, their post-fight ranting and raving and dumb shit reflects the fact that they understand that this was fairly disastrous, fucking catastrophic for them. Because, I mean, like you, you alluded to, Teofimo Lopez is coming off a win over uh, Masayoshi Nakatani and Richard Comey both of whom are you know, Nakatani's undefeated at the time, and Richard Comey, while not undefeated, uh, was on a, a pretty good run overall and was thought of as a fairly dangerous fight for Teofimo Lopez. You know, he, he uh, winds up pulling out that fight with an early knockout because a lot of people were looking forward to that fight. Like, oh, it's two younger, uh, you know, fighters in the lightweight division going in. Let's try to see what happens. And then Teofimo Lopez just, you know, basically annihilates him. And then looks good kind of does what cambosos did to him to lomachenko and so i think that there was a lot of people really just behind uh teofimo lopez for a handful of reasons he's young he's a new on the scene he's american etc so i think that there was a lot of reasons to get behind him and then he totally lost his momentum like it's already somewhat annoying that his dad and him are kind of loud and brash, but Hey dude, if you can back it up, it's cool that, you know, that's generally, I think the attitude of boxing fans and shit, but then during the pandemic, and I'm going to try to do this without taking too political a stance, but during the pandemic, 
uh, both of the Lopez definitely positioned themselves as far as taking a certain stance against vaccines. And then Teofimo Lopez Jr., even despite the fact that before he contracted COVID, specifically said he didn't want to contract COVID because he has asthma. And like, you know, I don't want to do that because it's dangerous. And then gets it because he's, uh, according to him, he kind of hinted in, in, in this one interview that he was listening to his dad about the vaccines. And so I got the idea, all right, well, you know, maybe he's just kind of being led down the wrong path. But no, he's kind of tripled down on that since. And then because of that, the fight was postponed because of the thriller nonsense and like the shuffling around of uh, both dates, venues, et cetera, over the course of months and months. Um, not only did Teofimo Lopez lose his momentum as a fighter, but he kind of lost like the, the heart of the fans, dude. Like, I think that a lot of fans just started feeling like, wow, this is like, what are we doing here? You know, like the, the Cambosos fight was great coming off of Lomachenko in like three months or something like that. Like, all right, you take a little bit of a rest because you had a good run. And then the Cambosos fight is a mandatory and we'll do that. No problem. And then now it wound up turning into a fight like, all right, well, you better get through this guy so we can move on. And, in, and instead of doing that, he gets knocked down hard early and it turns into an epic struggle against a fighter that many people said you need to get through because he's not on your level. And so now on top of that, because of Teofimo Lopez and all of those shuffling around before the fight, he wound up kind of, in a way, bad-mouthing top rank because Triller wound up putting in a big bid that he was like, oh, well, top rank's not paying me that type of shit. And now he's in a poor position where top rank's probably looking at them like, oh, shit, he's coming off of a loss and he was bad-mouthing us. Triller's not even in the picture. Who knows what DAZN and Matchroom want out of this. And George Cambosos no is... What's that? There's no rematch clause. And because George Cambosos is not with a network, not with a promoter, sitting tall Bella, like he? a motherfucker, like an Aussie king. He's uh, no, he's with Debella, isn't he? Is he? Yes. Because, because yeah, Debella promotes him. I don't know if he has any sort of contract with him because last night there seemed like a suggestion that uh, Matchroom and Eddie Herm might try to go after him. So maybe there's well, I mean, a short... I'm sure Eddie's going to try to like get his fingers in somehow, but I think lose his promoter. Right well, now, that yeah. would be that would be pretty hilarious if that were the case. But either way, he's not, to my knowledge, tied with a network then. So fuck it. He's, no, as he far can, as I know, definitely not. So I mean, he off, can let yeah, offers, everything is wide open right now. Yeah, he can let offers come in as he pleases. And Teofimo Lopez, on the other hand, I would imagine that he does not want to make that weight again. Definitely not. I see a move up for him if there's not going to be an immediate rematch. And not only that, but everything you just uh, that you just mentioned alluded to that. The other thing too that I think needs to be done for Lopez is that he needs to do a complete overhaul of his corner, of his team, and everything like that. Like I know he's really close with his dad, and they have. We a, we just a, went over like, this, you know. Like we exactly. we just had this conversation. Porter, last yeah, week. about Porter and his dad the other day yeah. too. But um, his dad, at least Porter's dad, you know knows how to train like Teofimo Lopez's dad did he give any did you notice any type of like relevant anything that would have been like actual good advice yesterday in the corner not really no no nah man like it I, I think that you're spot on and a lot of people agree even just even just apart from the training angle he seems toxic dude Very he brings <laughs> he brings drama 
he's like going after Cambosos and his dad and shit in the gym. Like, I mean, I understand that this can, I mean, I know he's a really like passionate dude or whatever, but but, like, he's completely off his, off the wall. Not, I mean, we haven't seen Danny Garcia's dad and his, and him in a long time. So they've kind of fallen off, but this is almost like turned it up even more of a notch than what they were back in the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's it's a it's kind of excessive, dude. And like I said, it's it's toxic, and it doesn't seem like it's a it's good for Tim Fuma Lopez Jr. either. Like like apart from the loss, I don't know, man. Um, that we'll we'll get to the other sore loser <laughs> later, but that, yeah, that was, was not a good look at the end of that fight, man. Like no, for what it was, that was a very compelling fight, one of the better fights of the year at the end of the year, and in, in a year of many good fights um tremendous upset and after everything that was said and done between them and all that other stuff you know what i mean you saw and at that moment right after the fight ended you saw that kimbosis was between lopez's dad and um his own dad and they were like kind of all hugging together you thought that initially i thought that when lopez was going to come up he was going to give him his props and kimbosis was almost like he was trying to accept that too like put his hand out hey man we went through bullshit but i i respect you type deal right and instead the very first thing he did he grabbed it and shook his hand and he starts going, Oh no, yeah, hey, man, I didn't we'll lose this fight. I didn't lose this fight, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he start, and then he starts going on. And then he was and then he said, I'm not a sore loser. I take my wins as I take my <laughs> losses, but I didn't lose this fight. Like, <laughs> you know. And then you see, it was funny too, because if you watch, you see Cambosis' dad on the side, and he's like laughing and pointing over, like, can you get a load of this dude type look? You know what I mean? And um, yeah, it was it was just bad. It was bad. Like, I understand. To a degree, like I'm, you know, I know that he's like really heated. It's his first loss. He didn't expect to lose. This is a big upset for a guy he thought he was going to completely um, blow over. If um, not on like kind of Lomachenko when he lost to him, like the way Lomachenko almost didn't respect him at first and like kind of coasted through it and let himself get outboxed and let himself like fall behind. And then the same way Lopez did, he thought he would blow over him so easily that he felt that he he kind of like you know let himself fall off track before he finally realized wait a minute I got to step it up and then it was a little too little too late but <clears throat> I think he was just in yeah he's in denial he's in shock this is the first time he lost and like he was really feeling like a supreme on top of the world for a while there and people were treating him as such being an undisputed champion before 20 fights and all this other thing all, all this other going on that this is a huge blow to him not only physically but like to his ego too like this is hard for him to handle a guy that he thought he was superior to beat him and that's the result of it <clears throat> yeah it's it's really unfortunate dude especially because i think that like i said after his win over lomachenko there was there was a lot of there were a lot of high hopes for tofimo lopez and a lot of people i think wanted to lo- look up to him or believe that I, I think that just in general you want to look up to a fighter or an athlete and believe that they're above I mean, everybody's human. You want to believe that they're above being human, that they're above making stupid-ass emotional statements and stuff like that. But unfortunately, this has kind of developed into something of a pattern for Lopez. That's what sucks. And so you get things like that. I mean, before even the post-fight interview, though, like the, the fight itself, I thought that Lopez even looked just kind of like again he looked a little bit off during the fight but he even like his facial expressions and stuff like that during the fight it was like 
misplaced confidence, hubris, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it was like, he was smiling. He was getting his ass kicked and smiling. I mean, you know, even he, after he, he got dropped, he got up and he was kind of laughing about it. Like, oh, I got caught. No big deal. And, yeah, and I was looking at him. They were like both like smack talking each other at the end of the round by that. But no, that was a legit knockdown. It, it was almost like at first it was almost like he wanted it looked like he was going to acknowledge it like he was like all right you got me you got me but instead he was kind of like i guess shit talking i don't know but <laughs> regardless he got dropped and he got dropped hard he didn't seem hurt but he got dropped like dramatically well, you know, was like little, folded yeah, backwards was and shit yeah it was it was one of those like bap, like shot was loud as hell and then he got like folded fucking backwards and again not super hurt but he got up and it looked bad and then the entire fight, like I had kind of mentioned earlier, George Cambosos was, he was, it was masterful. It was really simple. He wasn't really doing anything dramatic, taking really short shuffling steps back and uh, making Lopez work right into his jab and then walking Lopez into a left hook. Like he was like fucking working that left hook like gangbusters, dude, just boop, boop, boop. Like not even super hard either just tearing his face up with the left hook. And by, I think it was like round three, Teofimo Lopez's uh, right eye was already swelling up. And then a couple rounds later, his left eye was cut up. He looked like shit, dude. His face just looked busted. I mean, up oh, he looked like he was... He, he was going through the grinder, man. Uh, for sure. Absolute. And the thing is, too, for a fight like that, usually when a person sustains injuries like that in their face... Uh, there was usually a lot of headbutts and other things. No, the majority of that damage was all done by Cambosis' fist, which is really telling. And credit to him because, again, that was a huge – no one, nobody um, was predicting him to win that fight. And it was almost like put up like a joke. A lot of people keep kept on saying on Twitter and other places, whenever it got postponed or whatever, there was more drama with regarding Triller and the fallout from that, and when it was finally going to take place, everyone's like, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? You know, if you actually cared about it, either you're in Cambosis' camp or, you know, you're Lopez's number one fan or, like, something like that, right? And, again, when it finally happened last night, you got the sense, too, that everyone was like, okay, it's finally, we're excited just to see Lopez in the ring, not more so than the actual fight. It's a chance to finally see Lopez back in action, then we can move on from this, you know, ridiculous fiasco. Right, yeah. Look where we're at now. You know, Lopez, we don't know if there's going to be an immediate rematch. I mean, there might be, but Cambosos alluded yesterday to saying, um, telling Lopez, hey, let's do it in Australia, which I'm not sure if Lopez is going to be willing to do that. But I mean, that could be a logical thing to do now because, hey, excuse me, Cambosos is a champion. Um, there's no rematch clause and he kind of has like, you know, the balls in, in, in his court now after everything that went down. So, um, there's that. There's moving up to the junior welterweight division because, like you said, I'm not sure how much Lopez can handle himself, you know, still making 135 healthily and still trying to like, compete as an elite fighter over there. But what I do think is going to shake in a shakeup of the division, what I do think is going to happen now is that all these, cha- all these other kings and champions, whatever, you know, they want to be calling themselves that instead of just barking back and forth that they were going to be fighting each other and nothing actually happened, all of them now want to target Cambosos because they think they could beat him. Exactly. <laughs> They're going to think Cambosos is the easy mark. Exactly. And, and since he's the, he's the ring champion now too, isn't he after this? I mean, I believe, yeah, I believe yeah. so. Because so yeah, he's the man who beat the man who beat the man. So, um, yeah, you know, I think that everybody like Devin Haney was already calling him out. Um, Ryan Garcia was calling him out. 
I think Shakur Stevenson was even was even calling him out saying I'd love to go to Australia to fight him. Like, you know, they're all trying to chop at the bit now because they think they see easy work. Well, I mean, even uh dude, he he came Lopez came so close in the tenth round. He wound up actually catching finally it looked like in I think it was rounds eight and nine. He was kind of catching up. Cambosos was him down. Well, and, and he was kind of catching up and Cambosos was slowing down. It was like, oh, you know, he's he's not jabbing as much. He's kind of having to to clinch a little bit more. And Lopez looked like he was like onto something, you know. And then finally he winds up catching him pretty good in the tenth and dropping him. And Cambosos' legs looked bad. He wasn't moving well. He was having to clinch a lot. And I thought, oh no, like here it is. He's catching up like the, all of that good work for nothing, but he made it through. And not only did he make it through, he whooped Teofimo Lopez Jr.'s ass in the last two rounds. Like he smacked him around, dude. Like it, it in the, yeah. that would have been the moment for Lopez to, to go ahead and seize the moment. And it didn't happen, dude. Cambosos just beep, 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 like all for fucking the last six minutes was just tipping him up. And I mean, you know, also for being able to recover like that, because I myself also thought that he was finished at that point. Totally. When he got dropped and there was still like a good amount of time left in that round. And um, he was, that was a legit knockdown too. He was tired. He was hurt. And it looked like he was like finally worn out, but Lopez couldn't do anything about it. He got up and flared away a little bit wildly, but he couldn't finish him. And Cambosos, man, he had some incredible uh, recuperative powers for that matter because, like you said, those last two rounds, man, he paced it on, especially round 11, too. The way he came back so well in that round and just really laid a waste on Lopez, just getting pop, pop, chick combinations, combinations. And that round 10 was almost like Lopez's last stand, I guess, in terms of like trying to really, you know, bring it back and trying to win the fight. But once he like lost the momentum, that was it. And round yep. 12, same thing, man. He just pasted him around easy. And that was the exclamation point on a beautiful performance by him. Yeah, I, I mean, f- frankly, if they go back and they look at that fight, the Lopez senior and junior, if they go back and look at that fight and truly believe that he won, they're lying to themselves. And that's not totally. going to do him any good as a fighter going forward. Because if they look at that and they think, I won and there's not really much I need to improve or not much I need to change because I won, it's a big mistake, dude. There's a lot he could have done. There's a lot he should have done and didn't do. So yeah, it's 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 unfortunate for him, dude. And I said something about this in a boxing group earlier this morning on Facebook because somebody said, "Well, you know what what's going to happen and uh, with Lopez and what are they going to do?" And I think they posted a clip from one of the post-fight interviews. And basically, I said, "What I predict is probably going to happen is that Teofimo Lopez Jr." He might say he wants the rematch. He might temporarily push for it, but I don't think he's going to want to make 135 anymore. And I think that what he's probably, and already last night, uh, one of the things, one of the quotes that I read was that he had said that he said, Oh, I, I made a mistake. Uh, I made a mistake leaving top rank, or I made a mistake not doing this with top rank. Yep. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. 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 He said, I shouldn't have gone with, um, whether shouldn't have gone to the zone. Yeah, and, shouldn't have gone to the zone. They got screwed over at and get treated right, all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he was basically to me, I took that as his as an apology to top rank. And I, I totally and that's that. that's why I said my comment was that I believe what he's probably gonna do is he's gonna angle for a Josh Taylor fight 
at 140 pounds. And he's going to say, I was just the undisputed champion and I won that fight. I deserve to win that fight. So I'm going to move up to 140. And so I should get a shot at Josh Taylor and Bob Arum for as punishment for, for shitting on top ranker for going to Triller and then to zone is going to is going to make him wait like 18 months for that fight. And then by then, Josh Taylor is going to be like, fuck that. I don't want to make 140 anymore. Go to 147. And Lopez is never going to get that fight. And it's going to have been a massive waste of time and a big mistake. That's my prediction. I mean, that's like two years in the making. So, I mean, hit me back in 2023 to see if it's true. But I I think that that's fairly plausible. I've been dicked enough to do that, though. You know that, too. (laughs) I'm just saying, dude, we know. (laughs) <laughs> we know how this shit goes in boxing. Shit gets punished, bro. I just, I just, I always think is that at the end of the day, I love shakeups. I, I've always do. That's the thing that makes one of the, right, the pieces of go around around here is that when there's a big upset and you know that there's like a lot of question marks and open doors after it, like we mentioned, that happens whenever there's a big upset in the heavyweight division or any other division when like the, one of the top guys gets knocked off their perch. So, no question. It's it's awesome, you know. What I mean? No question, exciting, dude. and I can't wait to see what's going to happen with the fallout from this. The only the only possible downside is that sometimes there's such a scramble toward that one person or toward that situation that it winds up delaying other shit. But mm-hmm. beyond that, like, but that's like I'm not even worried about that. That's like way off and whatever. I'm happy for George Cambosos. I'm happy. Like you said, every time there's like a, a shakeup or an upset, that's good for the sport, dude. It it's like it drives it, a bunch of con- it gets a lot of stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, it drives a bunch of conversation. It gets people, dude. When George Cambosos arrives home in Australia, it's gonna be fucking. First of all, it's gonna be a day ahead, and <laughs> toilets swirl the other way. <laughs> you know, dude, this is gonna be Simpsons reference. Yep, <laughs> Re- release cane toads. That'll be, they'll be fucking wiling out for George Cambosos. And I got to also give him credit because um, there's going to be a tendency to focus on Lopez because they're so outlandish and some of the stupid shit they're saying during post-fight interview. But I got to give Cambosos credit because when Teofimo Lopez Jr. runs up and starts saying, ah, oh, no, nah, I won that fight and dropping a bunch of like, the train's still going, still lying, something, something, something. He was, you know, he's like over, dropping a bunch. Take over. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Now, the, yeah. Still the train, takeover train is something. He's, he's throwing out a bunch of catchphrases. And so George Cambosos just goes, take it like a champ, mate. Take it like a champ. And I'm just like, oh, the guy's even being classy as he wins and just telling mm-hmm. him to shut up in the most classy way. Like, and he says, let's do it. And let's do it in Australia. We'll get 80,000 people. And I was like, Carl Frotch reference, Carl Frotch. <laughs> no, shit was great though, dude. You know, I mean, yeah. so it's, I, I was going to ask you about the Australia thing. I mean, I don't really know about the whole attendance and all that shit, but obviously there's going to be a lot of excitement about George Cambosos. Uh, I mean, this you know, is huge. This is as uh, probably the biggest one they've had since what Horn beat Pacquiao. Um, a few years ago, I would say in terms of big significance, but the fact totally. that he's on the road um, in New York, nonetheless, and, and Lopez's backyard is huge, 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 huge. So with that being said, where would you put this significant and historically for like biggest wins in Australian boxing? That is, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good question. 
I mean, you'd probably just have to go down the list of like who the greatest Australian fighters were, to be frank. Like Johnny Famichon, uh, you know, Jeff Fennick. I mean, even though Jeff Horn is not one of the greatest fighters, especially because the decision was fairly dodgy over Pacquiao. What I was going to say was like, you know, you brought up Jeff Horn and dude, like you have to <laughs> just go ahead and go over to Jeff Horn's box rec page and look at his record since de uh, defeating Manny Pacquiao. And it's like, all right, it doesn't look super impressive. But when you look at his record, you see that it's basically a who's who of like some of the biggest names in Australian boxing right now. Michael Zarafa, Anthony Mundine, fucking, and Tim Zhu. Just those three over four fights, it basically spawned a cottage industry. Defeating Manny Pacquiao and then taking the, the show back to Australia, basically, I, I don't want to overstate it because that's kind of like underselling the strength of Australian boxing, which, you know, it's underrated. You know, there's a, there's actually a pretty healthy scene on, on, uh, you know, in Australia, but that being said, dude, um, that win over Manny Pacquiao, he was able to bring, bring back kind of like an injection of excitement into the, into Australian boxing. And I would imagine that this win over Cambosos is going to do the same kind of thing. Um, in the grand pantheon of like greatest wins, has to be up near the top. I will, I'm not sure if it's the absolute. Yeah. For me, and this is just my opinion. I mean, everybody, because this is just an opinion question. I don't know if you can, you know, there's like an official ranking of all this, but I'm still going to say Lionel Rose's um, huge win over the legendary Finding Harada in Japan, nonetheless, still probably ranks at the top for me for a number of reasons. But um, Harada obviously being a much more higher caliber champion at the time than Lopez, even though he's undefeated, you know, unified champion, just the way it is significance of going over there, beating Harada, who's an absolute legend and one of the greatest Asian fighters in history, let alone just Japanese, um, carries its own weight the way it is. The, the number of the fights that he had afterwards, you know, beating Chucho Castillo and causing a riot, other stuff till finally being, um, <laughs> till finally being stopped by Ruben Oliveira's, and also, too, the significance, I believe, being the first of um, Aboriginal uh, world champion. So. Yeah, the first Indigenous Australian yeah. world yeah, champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, like, that, and, yeah, and also defeating a great Japanese fighter. I mean, that's probably, if not the best, it's, like, number two, like, at worst. <laughs> No, that's pretty damn good. And I would have to say that this is probably like a, a couple steps behind that and not to downplay George Cambosos or the win at all. It's just that Teofimo Lopez, the, the main draw to his record is defeating Vasily Lomachenko, which is a very good win, but still, still needs some historical context. For all we know, Lomachenko goes on and looks like absolute dog shit in his next fight and then never picks it back up from there. And so that makes it kind of tricky to figure or out. Or Lopez just never recovers from this. Yeah, or, or just or both. Yeah. yeah, or or neither of them do, in which case it makes it kind of difficult to access, uh, to uh, uh, assess what that win is actually worth. Again, not to get too technical about it, not to downplay it. 
But for now, it's a really good win. It's going to be. Yeah, he's huge, man. He's right now Cambosos and my popularity level from this win back in Australia. He's no question. Horn, he was what Horn was after being Pacquiao. He's what Jeff Fennick was after, you know, in his heyday. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely he's up there. And, and, I, and I guess that uh, even though it was slightly complicated, Kostya Zoo was definitely accepted as Australian. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. I didn't mention him because of, like, originally being from Russia and all that. But, like, for sure. Yeah, he's... Well, he and, and I think Johnny fun. Famichon, too. It was, I think Johnny Famichon's French, but, like, kind of accepted. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His brother, Ray. Mm -hmm. But, well, in any case... Um, no, totally. But, yeah, in the, in the whole of, like... Things like that you'd have to mention when you add Zoo in there. Um, you have to mention then like Zoo going over and absolutely just you know flatlining Zab Judah and other fights like that too. But there's there's a lot of cool history. Jeff Harding's another guy that we that we yeah. mentioned before on the show. That's always been a lot of fun. Um, Harding was one of those type of guys that like it seemed like you just want to go out and grab a beer with him because by all accounts that's all he did he just kind of hang out on the beach and just get drunk a lot and just happened to like the fight <laughs> it was tough as nails so you know it, it they have a rich history and Cambosis just added to it and it's awesome yeah man you gotta you have to be happy at least in my opinion you have to be happy for Cambosos and like I kind of alluded to man it, it just felt like karma it, it honestly yeah. oh, felt yeah. like the way that Teofimo Lopez Jr. and Senior Senior were acting it's just tough to defend, dude. And I mean, I, I don't want to get too far into this either because there are allegations and nothing more for now. But, um, you know, with uh, Raleigh Romero being accused of some pretty icky things, not very long after the ac the accusation, Teofimo Lopez Jr. went on social media with some weird little interview of him where they're talking about, you know, the accusations are bullshit and all this type of shit. Oh, yeah, they I mean, had a fun buddy-buddy interview. They were like A, a very around. bad look, dude. Just a really icky, stupid, bad look. So that just adds another layer of, like, justice or karma to this. And so you got to just be happy for George Cambosos apart from that because he's, like, a nice dude. Got to be happy for him. And he's come through a lot, man. He was struggling through a lot of things. I know he had a that's couple right. of yeah, that's right. things he had to deal with, like, yeah, and he lives on the other side of the world. You know, with all of the, like, how difficult must it be for him to be dealing with this while living in Australia and trying to travel back here and go? Yeah, how many times back. did he get fucking yanked around yeah, with this? Yeah, you know, it because was, he it was, was the B side and nobody gave a shit. And exactly. so they were just like, all right, back and forth. The poor, he went you know, all kinds and of he, stuff, man. He really went through the ringer on this. So, you know what? Exactly. This is karma. This is good justice that he finally wins it all. And I mean, it's honestly like I'm not I'm not trying to get too fucking weird or philosophical, but it is inspirational because you see how Lopez is acting in the wake of a loss and, you know, taking his first L and acting like a total fucking baby. And then George Cambosos, after getting yanked around for however long, you know, like almost a goddamn year, it just took it was like whatever rolled with it and then got the fucking win. Yeah. Like, goddamn, dude fuck it you know what i'm saying like you you gotta you gotta root for somebody who just who rolls with it and comes through dude fuck that's what boxing's about man like we said it's a beautiful thing when an upset occurs like that and this is probably the upset of the year <clears throat> it just because of the level that it happened at you know it, it it's gotta be <laughs> it's almost gotta be you know and it's yeah it's good shit dude I, I wish that it would have had, and I mean, this is just kind of also a re recurring theme with 
high level fight cards in general. I wish I'd had a little bit better support on the DAZN card, but that's just kind of the way the world works. But Kenichi Ogawa, 130 pound, uh, you wound up picking up the vacant, which one was it? IBF. I don't know what's what these days, bro. I got to like. He, he picked the, up a strap. It's one of them. Does, yeah, it's, at this point, man, just pick a name. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's a, it's a belt, but uh, he wound up defeating. I mean, just really beating the hell out of a Ziga Fusile South African, just absolutely kicking the hell out of him to a point where I have no idea who came up with that 114, 111 cart. Was it? Let me just look. Steve Weisfeld. Of course, it's fucking Steve Weisfeld. In any case, dude. Steve Weisfeld comes up with a 114-111 card for uh, Ogawa, which was just absurd because he beat down Fusile really bad. Um, that was a beatdown, man. That was it was awful. bad, man. And, and that's sure not like distance either. And it's not like anybody's fault per se, because that on paper didn't look like a, a terrible fight. It just wound up being really shitty. And in any case, Raymond Ford also on the support for that wound up scoring an Aethron TK on Felix Caravaggio. And uh, that was, I think, for some fringe title, but yeah, whatever on that. Um, that was a pretty solid fight, but somewhat one-sided. And speaking of one-sided, the opener, Zillow Zhang, who uh, we know just being a very large heavyweight who's undefeated, but I want to say he's like, isn't he like 42 or something like that? He's like... He's in his late he 30s, I think. He's a little bit older. Yeah, he's a little bit older, but... Un undefeated nonetheless and you also don't see a whole ton of asian heavyweights just overall so something of an attraction for that reason alone but scored a one-sided tk over a dude named craig lewis who looked like he was just chosen out of a name name chosen out of a hat poor guy he's probably gonna be in line for a big fight this uh next year i would say at this point he's been he's been featured on DAZN enough that they know with him being very popular. I mean, like he did bring in fans to that to the garden yesterday. You saw them there cheering for him. So for sure. Yeah, he's popular and um he's been maneuvered well to the point he has. that um yeah, absolutely. Terry and Tommy Lane has um both done a very fine job of um putting him in this position. So I can definitely see next year him being put in a fight where whether it'll be like for somebody stay busy or whatever it is, but I could see him being, you know, fighting a high profile name in the division next year. They've kept him visible. You know, they've done a really good job. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy to maneuver heavyweights right now at all. So, I, I mean, it's just the way that the, the division works with it being so top heavy. And they've done a really good job of maneuvering him to a point of being visible to like, you know, American fight fans, mm -hmm. even if he's not an attraction or popular to that degree, where they kind of went in them where DAZN loses me is Chris Mannix. I'm like, I, I even feel bad like saying it's... Oh, did he say he was going to say Anthony Joshua was going to China or something? Fighting? Yeah, they're talking about Joshua Zhang in China. Like, this sets up Joshua Zhang in China in 2022. It, no, it... Man. No, it doesn't. Come on, dude. <laughs> I don't even want to have to talk about him or about this. Like, just like I don't want to have to talk about Andre Charlo when even Demetrius Andrade is like, stop bringing that up, Chris Mannix. Let's talk about fights that are actually possible. That's that the are biggest on this fight network. that can be made in boxing, bro. What do you mean? And I mean, you know, even even the fighters are correcting him right to his face. And he's like, oh, oh. dude, they're telling you. 
stop. But in any case, now it, it's look, he's uh, like I said, and like you agree, they've done a great job maneuvering him uh, to a point where he should at this point be taking on some other, like some top 10 or top 15 contender. In my opinion, that's where he is. He's not at a Joshua in China point. That's like 2023 tail end of 2023. If we get there type of shit, um, you know, like that's, that's a ways off, but regardless, uh, there's enough to be ways that, that, um, Eddie Hearn and his own future exactly. easily be put in the mix against one of them. So yeah, I see exactly. That. It's not outside the realm of possibility it, possibilities. It's just not, not like that. Not quite like that, yeah. but either way, I'd um, like to see him actually, you know, it'd be a good fight. A fun fight would probably be him and Michael Hunter. I would love to see, I would love to see Zhang against somebody like a Hunter who's going to come to win and who's going to be like a serious test. Cause I mean, dude, you can't, it, that's the tricky thing about like a heavyweight is that Zhang's age is that like you, you have very limited time and it could just be like, take a temple shot and his legs are done, dude. There's nothing there. It's, it's tricky, dude. So I think that that would be the good type of fight, a good type of fight where somebody could put their paws on him and you'd see where you are, but there's some risk very much so but i mean look dude the zone the zone card was only actually one third i was gonna say one half because they had the 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 other third was the triller triad combat but i'm not gonna lie to you i did i only watched portions of the card and caught some metallica but yeah I, I saw somebody get really beat up and i caught the, the the replay of frank Mir. Just you know, getting stiff. That was brutal. That was brutal. I, I don't dude, know what the hell that referee was thinking, but um, not like it makes me Nostradamus or anything. But I did call that pretty hardcore beforehand, you know, because I didn't know too much about where some of these other fighters were in their career. But I was like, I seen Frank Mir like ten years ago, and he was pretty washed. And I already know that Kubrat Pulev did not look nearly that washed. That fool's gonna hurt him. And that's exactly. Oh my god, he almost died. Dan Mergliata, the referee, just he almost looked like he was about to let it go. And I'm he like, tried to, and that's why Pulev stopped. And there was like, yo, he finally looked at the referee, like, do something before I have to like really hurt this guy. And that's when he stopped it. And he's like, okay. Yeah, I almost had to Glad hear he that restraint. Almost had to hear fucking Shannon Briggs shouting. No, oh, no, God. champ. No, no, champ. <laughs> yeah. Don't kill him, champ. Yeah. Been awful. Don't do it, champ. Don't do it yeah oh man but well yeah so yeah i didn't really watch these guys man is that sometimes you know what it is is that a lot of these washed mma dudes right they'll get into the ring and sometimes they get carried and then that gives them assault uh, like a false sense that they can hang with actual boxers get back in there again and then they get seriously hurt well and and on top of that dude i think that they i think that someone might have misunderstood where especially at heavyweight especially at heavyweight where it's like you fight somebody who's like top 75 mm-hmm. and that that might be someone who the average person off their street could totally knock out. <laughs> you fight somebody who's top 10, you're getting fucking shit housed. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, like I'm just saying like it's that's where the fucking drop off is like it's so large that, you know, it, it especially at heavyweight and with the the division being the way that it is right now. And so, I mean, like I, I, uh, man, poor guy. So Kubrat Pulev, 
while obviously not somebody who you'd expect to win a world title or something in boxing is not so washed or so used up or so damaged, whatever you want to call it, so old that you put him in a slightly other sport where it's like, you know, big fish and small pond status. And look at him, dude. They gave him some weird looking kind of fabric belt or something that was all Velcro-y looking and shit. And he's like, you know, talk about this is the future. I don't know, man. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Um, I was under the impression that there could be elbows used last night, but I didn't see any elbows thrown. But again, that's what I thought. That red light tie clinch, which I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think so, like elbows and being like dirty boxing. No, I. I was under the impression that there could be elbows, but then it, it seemed like later there was some confusion over the precise nature of the rules, which is not not totally. Uh, well, look, dude, I wasn't even planning on getting into it, but might as well since we're sitting here talking about it. Not going to go too far, but I know Eris is already grinning because that usually means I'm about to go on a rant. But, <laughs> but no, like I'll try to, I honestly will try to make it brief. Uh, BYB Extreme is a bare knuckle organization that basically tried to pioneer the, uh, the use of kind of different shapes of rings. Like they initially started out in like 2014 and 2015 and they started out with like a diamond-shaped ring or a diamond-shaped combat space, whatever you want to call it, so that it was a slightly different flow of fighting. And <clears throat> to be frank, I was somewhat unaware of BYB at this time, so I couldn't speak up about that. I just know that this is the history of it. And then in the last maybe two or three years, they have come out with the Mighty Trigon, which is a triangle-shaped fighting space where like that's kind of the the sell of it is that the corners aren't as wide so they're more difficult to maneuver out of or turn somebody and therefore the fighters would be forced to fight each other and then basically the rules were that uh similar to bkfc there are it's not a fully bare knuckle like nothing on your hand bare knuckle but it's rein their uh, wrists are reinforced with hand wraps, but then the knuckles left bare so that that way it's less likely that you're, it's less likely in theory that you're going to break your hands punching, but they get hand breaks in all the fucking time, especially because you get tired and then, you know, you connect in a weird way. It, it really doesn't take that much when you're hitting a skull to be frank. So point is the whole rule thing and blah, blah, blah. And then as of a week or two ago, um, when, when Triller announced that they were doing the triad combat, it was like a month and a half ago or something like that. It really wasn't that long ago. And then it probably took a little bit for BYB extreme to get their ducks in a row legally. And then they said that they were going to sue Triller. So they're actually in the midst of a lawsuit. I'm a little bit surprised that like an injunction or some sort of restraining order wasn't issued so that they didn't put that show on last night. But my guess is that they had a little bit too much on the line with Metallica and they'd put a lot of money into it. And that BYB probably just couldn't get to that point at the fucking last minute. But either way, a number of people who were in like the, the bare knuckle community and the MMA community in particular noted that Triller's totally biting off of the fucking, the, the triangle idea some people are kind of like, well, it's absurd for either of them. So who gives a shit? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, I guess. If you think it's absurd, I'm not going to argue with you. But regardless, uh, that's the kind of drama behind the whole triangle shit and why it was somewhat awkward. I didn't. I really did not see very many people on my social media timelines talking about it, period, to be honest. 
Two um, big cards on Showtime and and DAZN, man. Yeah, no one was worried about triangle boxing. No, <laughs> no, and and on top of that, I think that specifically from the boxing community, there there just weren't enough recognizable boxers on the card for people to care. Like there was Gigliotti, and there was Pulev, and for the and and Vera, Brian Vera, but everybody knows Brian Vera was like, I'm with all due respect, that fool was pretty much out in like 2013, so. Any, any, despite looking fairly beaten up for the first couple of rounds, still wound up keeping it close with the dude. So I'm not even going to lie, bro. There was like one or two fights. I wasn't sure which one was the boxer and which one was the MMA guy until, until the announcers finally differentiated them. One, it's 100%, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, okay. dude. You're not, you're not even alone. And it's not even like you're some, some casual ass fan either. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's unfortunate. Um, it looked like they, I suppose, were trying to make stars of Kubrat Pulev. And I'm sorry, I forgot her name. The young lady who won and who was, who who won, I think it was in the second fight. It looked like they were trying to kind of, you know, center the attention on her, like as if they're trying to move forward and feature these people on other triad, triad combat cards, but whatever, dude. Um, so, I mean... Anyway, I know I just ranted for a while. I was just trying to make sure everybody understands this triad business because there was a whole bunch of shit and nobody was talking about it. And I think people were probably confused about it, understandably. But the main focus, apart from George Camboso's win over Teofimo Lopez, which was massive, the fight of the night nonetheless, uh, in terms of action, was unquestionably Stephen Fulton's win over Brandon Figueroa. I mean, holy shit, dude. It was a punch fest. It was, uh, as we had kind of noted, talking about it not on the show, it was a good style matchup going in, which it, that those kinds of style matchups al- almost always are the kind of like boxer slash boxer puncher versus swarming kind of bruising type of guy that's just a good style matchup and wound up being a ridiculously fun fight dude you said it man that shit was awesome you know and that's what you get you get two undefeated young fighters both of them champions both of them supremely confident both of them at the peak of their powers right now both of them think that they're that they can't be defeated they're putting their O's on the line, which is very rare in this day and age you know it's very doesn't happen often where you get two guys both young undefeated champions they're more inclined to talk on twitter and threaten to fight each other in the ring after a fight and argue as opposed to actually getting into it but credit to brandon figueroa and um stephen fulton for actually getting in there and you know throwing down it was a unification fight and it fits in perfectly with um the great junior featherweight wars of the past got fights like you know brera morales brera mckinney lupe pintor um wilfredo gomez list goes on and on and on so yeah, it's just, it was a perfect clash of styles. Like, Figueroa is a come-forward guy, just puts tremendous pressure on you, just wails away, kind of wears you down and eventually stops you. Takes punishment along the way, but at the same time, the guy is just relentless and very big for the weight and just beats you down. It's hard to keep a guy like that off him because he doesn't really get hurt. And as, as opposed to being like a one-punch knockout artist, which he's not, like, he's a hard puncher and he's a heavy-handed fighter. And he just wears you the hell down after a while, taking that, trying to, trying to take that pressure for five, six rounds will wear you out. And before you know it, you just get stomped to a pulp. And <clears throat> Fulton is one of those guys that as fluid and beautiful boxer as he is, um, 
he's not afraid to stand in the pocket and go there and go to war. He's a Philly fighter at heart. So that's exactly what it was is that like, even though he was having success early on and peace and figure all up, you knew eventually he was going to have to stand and start trading. And pretty soon we got trench warfare and that's when it just became awesome. And it was Brandon Figueroa. Like I tweeted this last night, but I think that it's worth repeating here. It was pretty inspiring shit from both fighters because Brandon Figueroa just supplies nonstop pressure. He just does not stop coming forward. He does not stop throwing. You know, he doesn't stop like pushing and shoving and like just trying to like bully the shit out of fighters out of his opponents. And then Stephen Fulton just showed some serious dog. Like he was, it was like every time he was getting pushed back and, you know, it, it was like every time it looked as though Brandon Figueroa was starting to pull ahead or starting to kind of beat him down a little bit, he'd roar back and mm-hmm. show like, you know, I'm not like, I'm still here, dude. I'm not done. I'm not going to wilt like that. And it just showed incredible resolve on his part. And then it almost looked in a few spots where he was, I don't think he ever really hurt Figueroa, but like almost like he was overwhelming Figueroa, like Figueroa was like covering up like, oh shit, you know? And I mean, personally, I thought that Brandon Figueroa probably deserved the win fairly close, but I have no problem with Stephen Fulton getting the, getting the close victory and I mean, it was an incredible fight. It was really a, a very, very good fight. And the expectations. Yeah, for sure. And the expectations were fairly high, at least among the hardcore community. It didn't really get too much uh, mainstream play. One of the things that Steven Espinosa was saying yesterday was that ESPN didn't cover the fight at all, which was, I mean, I guess not necessarily surprising given the kind of way things are often factioned off with you know this promoter and blah 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 and ESPN more or less being with top rank or aligned with top rank or whatever but even so that's just kind of irresponsible cuz it's a unification fight and on paper a good fight i don't know why you wouldn't cover it but and it's it, featuring you know, two of the top young fighters in the in the in the world right now um as undefeated world champions fighting each other in a unification fight so it's something that doesn't happen that often at all ever and especially, especially this day and age, it's extremely, extremely rare for it to go down. And it produced one of the best fights you could find, man. Like everybody on Twitter, everybody around just loved it from round six on. I mean, even before that, from like up till the sixth round, that was already 12 rounds worth of action. You know what I mean? Like it was just one of those, like you mentioned, man, it had so many flows. It was a hell of a fight to score too, because it had so many levels to it and so much back and forth that you really just came down to, um, I would say, what you preferred, you know? Whether it would be like, do you prefer Fulton's precise punching and the cleaner landed shots that he would land when he run when he would go on his flurries, he landed some really eye popping combinations. And judges do you know do catch all that, or would you prefer Figueroa's like nonstop pressure because after looking like he was gonna like lose around and getting out boxed a little bit, he would turn it on and then trap Fulton in the corner and just wail away. And a lot of those body shots that were landing were really heavy uppercuts, and a couple of times. Um, it looked like Fulton was about to fold. I thought so for a few times at least. And then he would come back too, just to like pull it out at the end, man. It was really, really, I'm glad I wasn't a judge for that fight or working it or whatever, because that was really, really tough, 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 tough fight to score. 
Yeah, I, th I think that it was what made it fairly convincing beyond the aggression and the pressure that Figueroa was applying was that when he was landing punches, a lot of the, a lot of the time they just looked more dramatic. Um, they were snapping Fulton's head around or the body shots, dude. Man, he was throwing just some crippling body shots. And I mean that in the least derogatory way possible. That the shit he was throwing was just brutal. Oh like, no, they'll tear you insides up. Absolutely. Just just oh brutal. I was and he was like watching it a couple of times. You see a couple of them, I'm just like, oh, like no, nah. Mm -mm. Yeah, that in that kind of stuff, I mean, I, I feel as though body shots often get kind of undersold on the on the cards. And Absolutely. often kind of get, they get undersold when like, and this is the kind of shit where I hate people say, when people say shit like this, generally speaking, where they're like, you had to be there. It's different when you're there live. And it's not the same. Cause usually I'm like, that's not true. I've been to a lot of fights. Generally speaking, you see what you see and it's the same fucking shit, but body shots are different, dude. When you're up close and there and, and one fighters landing serious body shots, it's like you can hear the other fighter and the noises they make and shit, and you can hear the way the punches land just different. It, it is different. That's one of the biggest reasons, like, where it's different, biggest ways where it's different. And Figaro was landing some just absolutely nasty, disgusting body work. Um, I mean, he, yeah. he, I really thought for a couple of times I'm watching it, and you would watch the fight, and you would think to yourself that I'm like, oh, no, this is like when Fulton was going to, like, it had a couple of vibes to me. I'm, I'm not trying to get like super context, but like you can go like Cotto Margarito, for example, like their first fight when like Cotto was outboxing and then just finally got beat down, beat down. And at full yeah, game. it just get, it caught or, up with him. It like, caught up with him. Or like Chavez, um, you know, Chavez Taylor, another fight kind of like, you know, their first one, same thing. Not as brutal, but you get what I'm going with that with just like the body shots yeah. were absolutely getting worn, worn, worn out before you just can't take it anymore. Um, Kenneth Boheri, the dude from PBC, mm -hmm. who's on Twitter, uh, he, I, I'm pretty sure it was him. Really early on, he said that it was giving him Tony Giroff vibes. I thought that was a pretty good call, actually. Actually, very good call, yeah. It actually didn't have the same crescendo type of ending that Tony Giroff had. And I think that Tony was a little bit more in control than Fulton was in that fight, or at least I would say a little less bothered. Because mm -hmm. Fulton was definitely pushed around and kind of like bullied. And, you know, he, there was there, like you just said, there were a number of points where he looked really uncomfortable. He didn't look like he, that was the way he wanted it to go. But I would say also, if you go back and watch the fight, and I'm not going to advise anybody go back and watch the fight at fucking, you know, uh, half speed or something like that. Like that's ridiculous. But, you know, if you were to go back and watch the fight, uh, just a little bit more closely, I guess you would probably see that Fulton was rolling with a lot of those punches was kind of covering up and taking the steam off, taking the mustard off those shots with his head movement. And I would say even some of the body shots, some of the body shots, he was even kind of like bracing for in a way that he was, uh, they probably weren't landing quite as hard as they otherwise would have. But regardless, um, you know, it was rough, dude. It was real rough. And I was a little bit surprised that he won just given the way that judges tend to go in fights where they usually favor the aggressor. But nonetheless, dude, I have no problem with Fulton winning that fight. And 
also, dude, uh, I'm sorry to bring this up. I'm sorry to say it, but those are two. That's like the the a fight between the two best looking fighters, maybe on record. <laughs> maybe on record. <laughs> dude, those well, are the two model looking motherfuckers. I'm just saying, and they could both fight their asses off. It was a great fight. It's a hell of a fight. Hell of a fight. I'm trying to think of the two other pretty boys who fought at the same time now. You're making me rack my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some, some like, you know, Sean O'Grady against somebody. But, uh, Would Delo no, was, Vargas be considered that? Or was Vargas not considered a pretty boy? Uh, Vargas was probably not, not quite on, on that, uh, that oh, level. Was but... it like his frosty tips back then? Oh, yeah. oh dude, maybe just go with Deloia Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pias himself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Paya's the dream boat. <laughs> okay. No, nah, you know, uh it but it was a it was a really good fight. Um, but like I awesome, said earlier, man. it was it was just one and it was one of those two that it deserves to be run back. I don't know if it's gonna happen because um, like you mentioned on Twitter, it was really funny. Figaro is really big for the weight, all right. And yeah. the fact is he had to cut a lot to make that. And then the the one second that um what was it Jim Gray mentioned about the weight cut. <laughs> yeah You're, yeah no. he's yeah he's like so I, I was gonna say earlier i or that i mentioned earlier the sore ass losers of the evening and unfortunately omar or uh brandon figaro was also a fucking sore loser yeah that was bad dude for such I mean, a really 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 good fight and a really close fight that you can't really complain either way how it, how it would go what? i mean I, was, say, I don't know sure if it was 116 112 but the i'm not complaining about who won the fight no, I, I don't really, like I said, I, I don't agree with who won, but it was close enough that I don't care. And it was a really good fight. Mm -hmm. and it, so I, I just don't, I don't have a problem with it. But I mean, you know, uh, they, they get the decision and then Figaro walks over and he's like, tell me, tell me you thought you won that fight. And I'm thinking in my head, look, and this is something that I think after every fight, dude, not just last night, after every major fight and somebody's like, Oh, they didn't. They didn't say that they lost. They didn't admit they lost, bro. Stop! Stop expecting athletes to believe they're not the best. Period. Yeah. You are not going to be a high-level athlete if you don't always believe you're the best, bro. Like that's just not that. That's how it is. And so, if you expect a fighter or any other athlete to, after their competition, go, "Yeah, I'm not that good," it's not going to fucking happen. Well, no, no, nah, nah, bro, you deserve won. to win this fight. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't know why I got this decision. Yeah, that nah. shit's rare. Right, right? It's happened like twice on record. You know, like that shit's I like never I can't even recall when that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't even tell you. So the point is, you know, people are getting all weird about it, but that should be kind of expected. But it was just the way that he went about it was just kind of lame. And so then he goes up and he's like, yeah, tell me you thought you won. And Fulton's just like, hey, dude, it was a close fight. Like, what do you want? He was being real. He was like, it's a close fight. You know, what do you he was want? Like, I hurt you like five or six different times. I hurt you like five or six different times. That's the thing, though, again, that we just mentioned before. The thing is that, like you mentioned, body punches, as many as he landed, as much of aggression that he showed, it's very rarely gets come gets credit over and in terms of judges very rarely gets credit over like clean really really clean headshots yeah like the eye-catching shots that you see that fulton was landing a lot yeah and i'm not saying i agree with it it's just that's often how it goes on the cards 
but then so then he's talking to they they finally get you know uh, brandon figueroa alone and which was super awkward by the way because they they panned over to figueroa's family and half of them are like all distraught and pissed off looking and then like i guess his mom or whoever it is is like <laughs> to the camera she's like posing to the camera and shit and i'm like all right this is really awkward dude but they're getting Brandon Figueroa on the mic and he's talking to him like, all right, what do we do now? Are we going to, and he went from let's do the rematch. We'll fight tomorrow to, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll do a rematch. I don't know. I'm not sure I want a rematch. He literally like within seconds, Jim Gray's like, yeah. So you're going to have to make the weight again too. And he's like, he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And Jim Gray's like, so you're going to, so maybe move up to maybe move up a vision. And he's like, Yeah. It literally within the span of like 10 seconds went from rematch right now to actually, no, that's a good point. I don't know if I want to make that weight again, man. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) It shit was funny. You could just see the hamster wheel going. It was fucking funny as hell. (laughs) But, you know, it's just really, uh, it was a really good fight. And it was unfortunate, especially after a fight like that to hear Brandon Figueroa carrying on and just kind of making excuses, dude. It sucks to, it sucks for like to hear poor sportsmanship, especially just after really good fights. It always does. But then like I mentioned with Lopez, it's another guy that undefeated young thinks he's unbeatable. It's a close fight. And he feels because it's a close fight and he just lost it, that there's no way that he actually lost that fight. And because he thinks he doesn't lose that fight and he's still young and kind of immature and never had to experience anything like this as a pro. And now that it's happening at the highest level and most high profile fight of his career, you know, he just acts out because of it. Something he couldn't handle, something he wasn't ready for. And um, they, you know, a lot of guys, it it shows their level of how they can handle things. Some fighters, it's rare at that age, I guess, to say that a fighter is going to handle it, you know, handle a loss like that and be like, Hey, I just got to go back to the drawing board. It was a legitimate loss. It was a close fight. And we'll have to see what I love, what I have to work on X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And then go from there. Usually um, you get responses like what you just saw here with Figueroa or Lopez, or even more so more extreme than what you, what you got with Zab Judah 20 years ago. You know, this is what happens with young fighters. Um, when you suffer your first loss, you're going through a lot of emotion, man. A lot of experiences, never experienced anything like this as a pro. And who knows what's going through your head at that point. I'm not saying that that's justified for these guys to be acting like this because no, it's still goofy and puts you in a bad light. But I'm just saying this is probably, you know, a good reason why all this is usually happening. No, I think that that's actually a really good point. And that's a good point bringing up Zab Judah too, because we're talking about Kasazu earlier and brought up the Judah win and a lot of people forget that like that was a big that was a big thing when it happened that was a big issue the Zab Judah going after uh, Jay Nady and it's not it's not even caught on uh on on the Showtime broadcast but he threw his stool at Jay Nady too like um I remember that yeah after it was caught on some photos I I don't know if it's around now but so Kasazu quote unquote, you know, gets his ass kicked in the first round. That was kind of the narrative that like, oh, you know, he got lucky with a punch after getting his ass kicked for two rounds when, I mean, whatever, I'm not going to argue much, but you can clearly see him dialing in with the right hand in the last like half of round two. Finally clips him with a massive, you know, right hand right on the button as Zab Judah's moving out in a really awkward way. And then Judah, you know, (laughs) famous knockdown, you know, gets up, fall down, gets up, fall down. Jane 80 waves it off and Zab Judah goes over and starts trying to choke him. 
And then after that, when Yoel Judah pulls Zab off, Zab ran back to his corner and flung a stool at Jay Nady. And he wound up getting fined and suspended for, I think, a year for that shit. And it was a big thing because it was like, you know, everybody's waiting for Zab Judah to come back after his suspension and shit. And yeah, dude, that was, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty good point that a lot of young fighters that who are just, I guess, in a position where they've never had to lose or have never had to react in a way like you know at that level or had to accept an l like that and don't know how to react it's like they lash out it's unfortunate yeah you know and i guess in the amateurs when you lose at a certain level you like you've lost but this is the pros now it's almost like an entirely different thing for you and the fact of the matter is when you reach a certain level in the pros that now you have this fame especially now too with like the social media age where you got this clout and you have all these people and then these like groups just kind of backing you and everybody's supporting you you got all these clicks everything all this other bullshit going on you, you're on top of the world you feel amazing you're always there you can't be beat and then when it finally happens to you it's an absolute shock because you don't think it's going to happen and you know you just because of that and the, the shock of it and still you being a young person who doesn't know how to react to anything like this at, at this type of level ever and you're all embarrassed and hurt and shook and don't know what to think and you're just confused by the whole situation and don't know what's happening that you just lose your mind you know luckily most people don't react the way zab did because that was a very very like intense uh way to do it but most people are going to lash out just like i didn't lose this fight there's no way i lost this fight i couldn't have lost this fight well let's run it back let's run it back right now there's no way what are you telling me right now you watched it everybody saw it everybody knows i won oh like i can't lose you legitimately lost and then after like a few days of reflection then they realize, hey, man, you're looking like a jackass out there. You need to, like, do some damage control. They'll get back on, hey, you know, credit to so-and-so. I'll come back stronger next time. Yeah, dude, it's it's really uh, – it's unfortunate to, like, I guess I, – I feel for a lot of the fighters because it's almost like a celebrity kid growing up in the limelight yeah. where you're having to see somebody develop – and having to learn a really important life lesson in real time in front of the cameras as, you know, they're rolling. And that's tough because, you know, I'm, I'm happy that cameras weren't rolling for all my fucking life because there's a lot of instances where I acted like a, a massive douchebag or did the wrong thing. But we get to see that with a lot of these fighters. So you do kind of have to take that into consideration. But that being said, we do also see how a lot of the other fighters do react, that there are a lot of really good sports. So I Very mean, much so. Very much so. They do have to be held to some kind of standard, or if they are compared, it's fair. It's not unfair to compare. That's so, why I said you can tell with the maturity levels of people, because some fighters, right. they suffer their first defeat, they take it in stride. Look at Sugar Ray Lennon's a perfect example of that. Look at, you know, look at a guy, if anyone was on top of the world, it was Sugar Ray in 1980 when he fought Duran the first time. And not to say this was this was more of a pick'em fight than what would be like a massive upset considered, but still, Leonard losing that fight and he, a guy that you know taunted and fucked with him, did all these yeah. other yeah serious L yeah serious L for and because he fought the way he fought and everything like that, and then Duran being dismissive with him, he didn't look how he reacted. He took it well, said you know what it's a lot, but you know it was really cool in the interviews, very respected, very respected, um, you know all this other stuff and made you know i think he uh put himself in an even better light with the media before his eventual rematch so yeah there, no question dude um you know there's i guess no absolute right way 
and it's kind of easy for us to sit back and say how fighters should react and stuff like that. But either way, we're free to judge and mm-hmm. we will. Um, <laughs> but the, the rest of the Showtime card was actually, it was pretty good, um, at least in terms of comp- competitive fights. So, I mean, I can't fault it there. Uh, the other two fights weren't nearly as entertaining, though. But one thing I did want to note was that you don't really see majority decisions that often, period. And then it's like particularly oh, oh, rare to see them, right? It had three majority decisions in a row, dude. Like the the main card, it had uh, Gary Antonio Russell. So wait, how many Gary Russells are there? There's like four, right? Aren't there? <laughs> Gary <laughs> there's... Russell, there's Gary Antonio, there's Gary and yeah i think think there might be three so three or four yeah i think there's three and then the other son is named something else but in any case uh one of the gary russells this is gary antonio russell the undefeated uh he was 17 and 0 he wound up getting by a dude named alejandro santiago uh by majority decision he had a hell of a time Uh, i saw some people feel that they they thought that russell did not win that fight but like I said, he had a hell of a time dealing with Santiago's style and pressure. And Raiz Salim wound up getting a majority decision over Eduardo Baez, who, you know, again, they both had a fair amount of trouble in the in these fights. But it's just really rare to see three majority decisions in a row. You just, like, don't see that shit. I can't, I can't recall a card ever like that before. It's almost the... You, you brought up... Uh, Duran Leonard and I think that first fight wasn't the first fight the one where the judge scored like 12 rounds even or something like that or was that the rematch I'd have to look Definitely but one of it had to have been probably the first fight it was one of, or yeah well I guess it, it couldn't have been the, re- the rematch but it was one of the one of those fights around that time had a judge that scored like some crazy amount of the rounds even and it and so you look at the score and it's like 141 to 140 or some shit like that yeah like something crazy oh because anyway he he messed up how he tabulated it too i remember there was one well there was one card back then where um it was lupe pintor against uh carlo zarate and i think the judge one of the judges was was tabulating the scores of it and i think he was doing it like the old way until he realized his mistake and so he just kind of doubled up on his scores Instead of like five four, it was like doing supposed to be ten nine or something. So he just kind of like he added he like added up and then him tried to fix it. Yeah, yeah, and then he made an absolute ridiculous score out of it, like one forty something to like I don't know what it was, but it was insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, awkward for the announcer to go ahead and yeah, but that's you know it it was a, a very solid card, but I guess that headed off by Fulton Figueroa. You know, the other two fights look like shite in comparison. But that was a, a really fun, a really fun night of boxing overall. And there's another fun weekend best looking ahead too that's actually gonna add to the drama of what um add, you know, to the drama, I guess, of what happened with uh Lopez Cambosis. Because you have Tank Davis, I believe, is in action this weekend, right? This coming weekend. Yeah, it was it December 4th or 5th? I'd have to look at the calendar. So. I think it's the Saturday. And then that's the same night that uh, JoJo is fighting. JoJo Diaz is fighting um, uh, Devin Haney, isn't it? Yeah, so if, so the 4th, yeah. I got, I got the days mixed up. The 4th, Devin Haney is fighting JoJo Diaz on DAZN, and that's for the 
the WBC Gmail lightweight title. No, I'm, I'm just fucking around. Who is the WBC champion, man? I don't I want to spend any time on this, but like, do you know? Is it Cambosis? Is it Haney? Is it? Dude, I I'm I have 100% turned into one of those grumpy ass. I don't give a shit about the alphabet people because it's too difficult for me to follow because uh, there are some divisions where, so, all right, we've, we've obviously gotten to a point now where it's not just WBA, WBC, and IBF. We've gotten to a point where we've totally adopted the WBO. Some people want to also adopt the IBO. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we've now gotten to a point where there's at least four per division that we're, we are supposed to recognize. But then on top of that, uh, the WBA and WBC often have in multiple divisions, more than one champion or more than one belt. It's too much, dude. Like I'm, I'm, I can't pay attention to all of this shit. Like I don't think it's just me. Some people might know all the champions. I, I don't feel like it's worth my time to figure it out. Last time I was able to do that was probably the late 90s, early 2000s. Early 2000s, for sure. I knew like, I knew almost all of the champions in the early 2000s, but even then it started getting, like, started getting 2003, up. 2004 was when mm-hmm. WBA came out with the emeritus shit. And then the WBC came out with the super champion, or I might have mixed those up. I don't care. Point is, it's they're both dumb. So that's when it started for me going like, what, dude? No, it's After, too much. Yeah, it, it became absurd, man. Now it's impossible because we got two different WBC champions, 15 different WBA champions. Uh, IBF at least stays consistent with their one, but they always have shitty mandatory challenges, so they suck too. Um, WBO, I have no idea. People want to consider the IBO or they don't. I don't, I, I just, you know, I know what? dude. Who cares? It's, it's too much. It's too much. So, so then last night and and this is like the the frosting on the fucking cake is that last night George Cambosos wins what we're calling the undisputed lightweight championship and the ring championship which a lot of people are also going to recognize but then not only on Friday there's going to be some announcer guy going the world lightweight title and then on Saturday there's going to be another announcer guy who maybe even the same cuz he just gets paid by both networks going the world lightweight title. It's going to be the same shit on both nights, despite the fact that last night it was the undisputed lightweight title. It's too much, dude. It's too much. Boxing for you. So, you know, it's, but regardless. We have enjoying stuff like that. We got to deal with headache shit like this. Well, but, and so I guess the only solution, and I guess that's kind of what I've done is just been like, fuck this, bro. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy into calling this a title fight and call that a title fight. They're good fights, dude. Gervonta Davis versus Isaac Cruz is actually a very good replacement fight for, you know, I mean, like it, it would have been, I think more fun to see Raleigh Romero finish out the trash talk as dumb as it was, and then kind of get served. I mean, cause a lot of us that's expect, that's what we expected to happen. But for a replacement, Isaac Cruz is actually a pretty good replacement. And then Devin Haney, Jojo Diaz is a very good fight. So I'm, these no, are I'm good fights. Independent. Looking for, I'm looking forward to, very, uh, to both fights, definitely. Yeah, independent yeah. Of, of the title shit. And if it works out that 
the winner of like Jojo Diaz and Devin Haney can fight Cambosis for full-fledged whatever super duper WBC champion of the world or whatever they want to call it, then sure. If uh, Tank can finally get in there, if Ryan Garcia can finally come back next year, full healthy mentally and physically, and be able to finally get in the mix, then you know everything will be good. Yeah, I don't know what to I don't know what to make about what Ryan Garcia is up to because I'd I'd love to see him back in the mix, but he doesn't really seem to know what he is doing either. So I'd love to see him just you know focused. Oh, okay, most is last I saw, but so is everybody else. So yeah, I I don't even know if I should take that serious, and and that's not to to trash talk him either but he needs to figure out what it is he wants and go 100 percent in that direction sure yeah he needs to get back in the ring before anything before he you know what before he can even be a factor he needs to be back in the ring because everybody else has at least fought since then totally yeah no i i don't think there's there's any question dude i think that if you put (laughs) i think that i'm not saying cambosos would beat him but i'm saying that if if he were to go not 100 percent focused or not focused into a fight with george cambosos I think we've already seen that if you give Cambosos that opportunity, he's going to take it. Yep. So I, that would be dumb. That would be a bad decision on Ryan Garcia's part. But no, it, it was a, a good shakeup of the lightweight division. And like you opened up saying, dude, everybody's talking about the four princes, kings, queens, aces, whatever. I don't know what we're talking about. But the point is, there's it's that's not what it was. We clearly see now that that's not what it was. And the shakeup is good, dude. It is, man. Um, next week, we'll answer some more questions, and then we can just move on from there. But it's been an awesome month. It's been a pretty awesome year for boxing, considering everything that's gone down. And this just really added to it, more or less. You know what I mean? And with these fights, I can't wait to see, because all, all these guys are obviously not going to be fighting by the end of the year now or anything like that. So I can't wait to see what they do in the first half of next year. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm kind of... Uh curious myself to see what's going to happen not to be all dystopian or cynical or pessimistic but it does look like we're probably going to be headed for another covid wave or uh, a different strain headed our way so who knows what that means as far as being able to put on events i mean um so that that could kind of change but i guess the good thing is that the there was quite a bit of development as far as being able to stream fights live and stuff like that and not have to do it in front of a big audience. And the fact that they figured out how to do that a little bit better is really good. But I am eager to see what's going to happen because it looks like there are some other players trying to get into the mix. You know, there's a lot of opportunity in boxing right now. And there's been a conversation going on about... um, like for instance, our dude, Adam Abramovitz, he said the other day on Twitter that he thought there could be a lot of paring down by PBC and some other stables that they're featuring too many fighters. And I think that what that often winds up leading to is that other outlets could wind up popping up to feature these fighters. And that's kind of what it sounds like is going to happen in 2022. I don't know. I guess more boxing overall is more access to boxing just is better for the fans. Totally couldn't agree more. Well, dude, I appreciate you uh, hopping on, uh, doing a next day recap with me, man. It's good night of boxing. Yeah, man, it's always a blast doing these things. I was really excited after the fights last night, man, and I'm glad that we have a chance to like put it out there. For sure, dude. It's it's always nice to kind of like strike while the iron is hot because that shit was good. Shit was real good, but. 
like we said, there's a lot of good stuff coming up this week. We'll probably try to get together and preview that. And I mean, we have a lot of a lot of shit to kind of like got like a lot of true crime episode ideas. And it's like we almost got to just get organized so that we can do them. But we'll try to preview some shit uh, later on this week, too. In the meanwhile, if you are on social media, for instance, like Twitter, follow my dude, Eris Pina at Punch Zone Eris. Follow me, Patrick Connor at Patrick M. Connor. You can also find us on YouTube or if you've watched us already, go ahead and subscribe. Very much appreciated if you do that. But you can also find us, of course, on the usual podcast apps and subscribe there. Give us a rating, helpful as well. And on Facebook, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Eris, we'll talk soon, bro. Absolutely, man. A blast. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take it easy. Later. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.